chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Dan, did you want the board further up? No, this is fine. This is fine. Yeah, it could be right there. Okay, cool. Oh, do you want to read my commentary? That's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, so anyway. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent commentary. It's a bit thick, but it's good. So uh, I want to ask you a question. Does anybody know who Irenaeus is? Yeah, okay, exactly. That's what, that's what I expected. Irenaeus. Everybody say Irenaeus. 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 Does anybody know an Irenaeus? I didn't think so. How's it spelled? Um, it's spelled uh, I-R-E-N, A-E-U-Irenaeus. Oh, I thought you said Irenaeus. No, 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 no. Irenaeus of Lyon. Everybody say Lyon. Because that's from France. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So Irenaeus of Leons, he is, uh, we call it, he's a second century church father. Who knows what a church father is? Did it start with a church? Kind of. You could, you could say that. Not so much actually start. Right, right. The church fathers are the, the people who we refer to is, um, like we were talking about the book of Acts. And there's the Acts of the Apostles, and the Apostles, are the uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit, are the primary instruments for not just birthing the church, spreading the church, um, expanding the church, but also expanding um, the, and, and uh, excuse me, um, seeing to it that they're God's instruments for, for fulfilling the purposes of God through the kingdom of God here on earth. But eventually we happen to know all the disciples end up dying. And they, the, the responsibility for leadership and authority within the church has to go on to somebody else. So somebody you'll know if you're studying the church fathers is somebody called Polycarp. Polycarp uh, is a person who is regarded as a, um, a disciple of John, uh, according to church history. Uh, so Irenaeus is a second century church father, a person who basically... If he's looking at the, 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 uh, the message of the Gospels, and he's saying, it's my responsibility not only to see to it that I preserve what it is that's been passed down to me, but that I know it well enough and explain it well enough that I'm going to uh, continue doing the sort of things that was, that was passed on to me. Uh, I have the responsibility to not just uh, sustain the church, but to continue being the church. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's that's what the church fathers are doing, I guess, in a nutshell. What? Oh, uh, it's right here. So there you go. Yeah, you can go have fun with that. So, uh, but Irenaeus, he, he, he had this fun little thing where uh, he used an Old Testament passage to tr as, as a useful example for how to tell the differences or the primary differences between the four Gospels. Does anybody else anybody here have a Bible? Okay, good. <laughs> We're a church. I mean, so kind of a nice place to have a Bible. There we go. Yeah, okay. Uh, in, in that Bible, uh, find Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. And this passage, this is Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God. 
And what does he see in addition to uh, uh, the manifest presence of God and the, his throne, his throne on wheels, and everything is just permeated with the, the glories of God and the creatures, uh, one of which happens to be a cherubim. Um, and, and listen to how the cherubim are described. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox, each also had the face of an eagle. Okay, man, lion, ox, and eagle. And Irenaeus looked at that and said, you know what? I know this wasn't what, wasn't what um, Ezekiel, this wasn't a part of his primary purpose in writing. He has something else in mind. But when I look at this four-sided, four-faced, awesome creature that called the cherubim in the presence of God, I actually see four different creatures that help me understand the primary differences between the Jesus who's presented in the four different Gospels. Where it's like each of these creatures, they when I look at them, I see that they represent a, a particular feature or an emphasis that this Gospel writer is at. So if I can remember these four creatures, these four symbols, then I'm going to remember something unique about that gospel. And the reason why we're bringing something like this up is that we have six months. We've already spent six weeks uh, uh, studying the book of Matthew, and we're going to be finished with, uh, um, with John until uh, the very uh, mid-June, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be in the gospels for a long time. And so... When I read this, this was a helpful way for me to remember some of the differences between the different Gospels. Let me use this as an example. There was a man. What was the first one? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. The man. Let's see here. That was Matthew. And he called the face of Israel's teacher. All right. All right. The face of Israel's teacher, because you know that in the book of Matthew, uh, you're going to find uh, not only is it more Jewish than any of the other books, but that it has more Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Matthew, and that uh, it has is most voluminous in all the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, um, the way in which. Uh, Jesus doesn't just uh, uh, um, preach about the Old Testament, but that his work and his wisdom is fulfilling the Old Testament. So that when Irenaeus sees that man, he sees the face of, of, of a man who's a teacher, who is there to communicate the word of God, the everlasting word of God. That's what he sees. Now, uh, let's look at the lion. Everybody say lion. 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 The lion. That is Mark. And he sees a roaring and rushing lion. And I would add into this is a Jesus who cannot be tamed. Um, and this is the deal with Mark. Mark is of all the Gospels the one who is the most action-oriented. 
uh, where the, you're going to find less than, than Matthew or Luke or John, where you're not going to find a whole lot of red ink spilled all over because Mark doesn't spend a whole lot of time sharing what Jesus is saying, but actually um, what it is that Jesus is doing. Um, he uh, is, is one who is uh, out on a mission, and he is working, and he is doing, uh, and, and putting to work the, 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 the deeds of the coming of the kingdom of God. So, the ox. Everybody say ox. Ox. There you go. All right. Ox, that was Luke, and he referred to that as the universal. I'm going to do beast of burden. What's the primary use of an ox? The pull things. They, they, they won't get you anywhere fast, but if you want something pulled, you want something carried, something that can sustain an enormous amount of weight, an ox is your thing. It's, it's the, the, the truck, be it Chevy, Dodge, GMC. What, what's, your, what's your type of truck? So Chevy is obviously the best. You know, the Chevy of all of, of the Gospels, we might call it. No, uh, yeah, it's just... Okay, yeah, but he's the, the muscle that's going on. You know why he calls it the universal beast of burden? Because in Luke's gospel, it is you know, the, the, the portrayal of Jesus is the one that it that reaches out the furthest and picks up the lowliest. The, the, the action and the ministry of Jesus reaches out the furthest and picks up the lowliest. The wow. people who uh, wouldn't be touched, that, have, that have, are, are the most needy, that need the most help, the people who are most likely to be ostracized to the fringes of society, and the, and, and the untouchables, the invalids. Um, the, the way Jesus is described in there is like that ox. Uh, and lastly, everybody give me a Columbia City Eagle, right? That's our team, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we are the eagles. Yeah, there we go. And and who 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 is the eagle? Who is the eagle here? Well, just guess. We only have four gospels. John. There we go. And like the eagle, he. Uh, oops, I can't write this out. Seen and flies. Oops, I can't even write. Flies highest. That. With John, it's like the eagles that not only with the eagle that has the sharpest perception of vision, but also what's so remarkable about eagles is that their, their perception is also sharp, but it's sharp from an incredibly high distance. And what you see in John, uh, consistent with the rest of the Gospels, is this uh, vantage point that it is actually higher longer and still even more perceptive to the ground than any of the other gospels so that it's like the range of vision and the sharpness of vision uh together is something that john actually affords if, even if you're thinking about you know how uh mark's uh, gospel begins with the uh baptism of, of john the baptist 
And Matthew, uh, he begins with the birth of Jesus. And Luke, he begins even further back with the prophecies uh, about the birth of John the Baptist. John, in the beginning, was the word. He is going way further back and seeing forward in ways uh, that uh, are just stunning if, uh, for, for, for John. Now, why is it that we bring this up? Now, granted, I'm, I, I, I need to make this absolutely clear. Uh, this is a church father doing what a lot of church fathers normally do, exercising creative and useful interpretation. This is not uh, anything that the biblical writers intended, whether it's from Ezekiel or, or any of the gospel writers. Uh, like, they don't have this in mind. But Irenaeus says this and says, you know what? This is useful if I'm going to catch something unique about what each of these gospel writers have to say. Because remember, that's one of the reasons why we have four gospels. We don't just have one. It, did you know, here, between, I want you to guess, percentage of the Gospel of Mark, do you find that overlaps with Matthew and Luke? Just, just a guess. 75. 75%. You got a 75. 90. Nope. 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 95. 95% of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke. So if this moment I snap my fingers and in every one of your, your Bibles, Mark was suddenly gone. Head and teller, make it disappear kind of thing. Like how, what, how much would be missing? 5%. So it's not like with Mark that we're getting something that's like new and novel information. Uh, where even though Luke and Matthew, if they're borrowing from Mark, say what Mark has to say is important. So I need to carry this on. I need to to carry on what it is that that that, that Mark is saying. What it is that he's captured with this roaring, rushing lion, um, and and preserve it. But it's not for the sake of new information. And here's here's the 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 rub of it is that if you only had one gospel to go off of, you would have a paper Jesus. That makes sense. He's only two dimensional. He, yeah, just, just, you know, only flat Stanley. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nobody wants a flat Stanley Jesus. That is lame. Uh, no, nobody wants that. But what do you, what do you have with four gospels? You have stereographic depth, as Carson and Moon put. You get to see him in three dimensions. You get to see his humanity writ large. You get to see his divinity. Uh, um, shining, exposing. Um, you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of the life of discipleship. You get to see all of it. And and so let's also put this in these terms. Uh, does anybody know somebody who, who they get themselves into constant trouble because they only follow a single news source? Yeah, take your pick, whatever, whichever one that it is. Um, but that the only thing it is that you're getting is from a singular angle and that 
oftentimes the, the perspective from a singular angle can do just as much to distort the truth as it much as it is to in, to to reveal the truth. Uh, if and now this is not I, I, this is not a soapbox to to point fingers and criticize and and rub dirt on legacy media, even though I would could would like to sometimes do that. Um, but but it's but no, it's 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 um, the it's it's the truth when all you have is 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 a single vantage point. Um, that's oftentimes not helpful, and it can cause as many problems as it does solve them. But the gospels say no 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 no. We need you to see the whole picture, and it's not enough to do like Tatian did. Another not a church second century church father, but a second century church heretic. Um, who said, you know what, wouldn't it be great if instead of just having like four gospels, we just like collapsed it all into one, you know, and just, you know, because nobody wants, you know, a pager, video camera, camera and cell phone. Let's just make it all into one an iPhone. Like, you know, we, we like convenience of putting all things together. So you have just one thing. Then he made the Diatessaron and got and and, and but what's weird in doing that, um, uh, you, you realize just how much was lost when you said, you know, we, 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 can, we, can, we can surely collapse all of these gospel writers into one, one account because you all get the same information, right? Nothing's lost. Mm -hmm. Al contraire, you lose a lot when you take um, the three-dimensional life of Jesus and smush it down like a pancake <laughs> into one thing. Don't follow a paper Jesus. Follow a three-dimensional one. Y'all with me? Okay, cool. So, um, um, <laughs> so uh, four-dimensional. Four thank you. Yeah, yeah, in time, in space. So thank you. So now, here's what I'm going to try doing. And Lord help us. We'll get, we'll get at least, it's okay. Uh, we'll get at least some of the text covered today. But this is the sort of thing I want you to know, I want it to be as helpful to you as it's been helpful to me to know what it is that you're reading and to be getting at what the disciples, what the biblical writers are wanting to, to convey. Uh, we as a church want to be a church that helps you feed yourselves uh, uh, because that's the way that you're going to grow and that you're going to be a, uh, become a mature disciple of Jesus. So um, as we said, um, Action-oriented, that is definitely – actually, I, I, I really should do. So is it – I can erase most of this, right? This is all cool? Okay. So, all right. So we're going to get on to Mark, this roaring rushing lion. I want you to see a few things here. All right. So there's some uniqueness to, to Mark in what it is you're getting. One of the first things, as you can see, is that he is, yes – action-oriented. There is a Greek word, an adverb, called euthus. Everybody say euthus. Euthus. Okay. Euthus is an adverb that means quickly, or immediately, excuse me. Immediately. 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 Uh, okay. There are 51 occurrences of euthus in the, the, the New Testament. Mark has 41 of them. He is all, it's so that 
he uses it so much. Um, it's it's like like you ever know somebody who, who has a conjunction that they just lean upon, like like and you know and kind of and you know or and 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 it, you use it so much that it just becomes your way of just speaking. That's kind of like Matt or like Mark, even though there's several occasions where he uses that to mean exactly what it is that he's saying. Um, things immediately. There's a lot of action. That's Mark's uh, the uh, the rushing, roaring lion. Okay, um, the second one. Here we go. Mm -hmm. This is a big one. All right. Discipleship. Okay. And the way that he puts this in large part is the way yeah. passages. So with discipleship, now, again, one thing we want to clarify is that just because a, a, any gospel writer has something to say about one thing that the other gospel writers don't have anything to say about it, that's not true. But these are the emphases that they lay out. Uh, and so with, with Matthew, a big thing about him is this discipleship. And uh, he's got this masterful arrangement in the middle of his, of his, uh, of his gospel in chapters 8 through 10. You'll, you'll, you'll keep reading and follow like the, or this, this, um, um, the, the language of the way. The way. They were following Jesus along the way. Blind Barnabas was healed and then followed Jesus along the way. The way, the way, the way, the way. That everything is just all about following Jesus along the way. And that that's the nature or the character or the essence about how it is that you learn discipleship. And thanks be to God for somebody like um, like Mark, who more than any other gospel writer, in my opinion, um, uh, is transparent with the failures of the disciples, who they were there present walking beside Jesus. And let me tell you, it's not for their untapped potential that Jesus picks these guys. Uh, it's it's like that Geico commercial that, you know, Pinocchio is a bad motivational speaker. It says, I look around this room and see nothing but potential. And you point at somebody and say, you have potential. And the nose starts coming out and you're like, oh boy. Uh, which, I mean, yeah. So, so you could look at the disciples and say, yeah, um, you have potential, Peter. You have potential, Andrew. You have potential, John. You have potential to be an absolute failure. That's what you have potential for. But but Jesus still picks them. He still walks with them. He still invites them along the way and, and invites them to learn from Jesus, not in the way that you'd be learning from a pupil in a classroom, but like the Karate Kid, Danielson, and Mr. Miyagi, where you become somebody new because you were rubbing shoulders with somebody who showed you a different way of life, and you just became a new person because you were doing what they were doing. That's discipleship. Rubbing shoulders, getting nasty, even the frustration of doing something and you don't know why it is that you're doing it, but you're instructed to do it because you trust and believe that this person actually was better than you do. That's um, and and Mark with his action invites us into the thick of that mess and that struggle. Nobody, nobody gets discipleship easy. 
taking up your cross, following Jesus, and dying is not easy for anybody, not even Jesus. <laughs> Why would it be easy for us? Anyway, but I digress. All right, here's, here's a fun one. This, this is where it actually gets a little bit um, weird. All right, there's this thing, and again, you get this in other places, but here it's certainly stronger. Is this thing called messianic? Uh, everybody say messianic. Okay, secret. Everybody say secret. Secret. All right, I'll give you a clue. Messianic secret is not a deodorant for female messiahs. Um, that is not what this is. I've been thinking about that joke all day long. I was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, messianic secret. And this is a, a, a gospel paradox about how the gospel, Jesus comes to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news is something that you tell. Uh, but it has to be, for some odd reason, concealed in particular ways. And we're invited to, under, to, to, to question why. Why is that? As you might know, we were not keeping a messianic secret, but we had to keep some good news secret for the past few weeks, Julie and I, because yes, we are in fact pregnant. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Um, but in order for us to bring up the very best of this, this pregnancy and this planning and the awareness of everybody um, and the doctor's visits, it's not something that we could just blurt out and say, hey, we're pregnant, you know, kind of thing. Because if I did that, I would have been sleeping outside in the winter. You're uh, really cold lately, and I would not be I would not be be a good good husband. But uh, so what's interesting about with Mark is that you'll see coming to the front is um, this not odd, but it's it's a perplexing thing that that Jesus will do certain things. To heal people, but then tell them to keep it a secret. Uh, where Jesus will reveal his identity as a Christ, uh, and then um, and tell the disciples, don't tell anybody just yet. And there's at least one big reason why. There's pragmatic reasons. There's political reasons. There's also one primary theological reason. And this is why. Are you ready for this? One, Jesus is not the only one who ever claimed to be a Messiah or a deliverer. And say if, if I told you I was going to run for president, would there be a lot of ideas in your mind of things that I would be wanting to do? Like get a campaign together, start fundraising, you know, start actually doing something politically for once, um, you know, uh, uh, work on my, my, my speech and, uh, you know, you know, get my back a little more crooked because, you know, politicians are a little crooked. Uh, like, uh, you know, uh, you, you'd want to do these things. Those are all the sort of things that if you say, I'm running for president, that that's what that person's going to do. Yes. Yeah, private email server. Yeah, that's right. I would do all those things if I was going to be running for president. So that when somebody says, I am putting my hat into the ring, as, as, we, as we put it, to say, that's a loaded thing. And it's loaded with expectations about what that person is going to do. So when Jesus, he says, um, I'm going to come and be a Messiah to deliver and rescue uh, th these people. That's loaded and pregnant with expectations. And expectations 
that it was never in God's mind or in Jesus's mind to fulfill. And the reason why something like that is important is because no matter who you are, how long you've been a Christian, our walk can sometimes be fraught with artificial disappointments because we expected God to do things that he never intended to do. I mean, yeah, that's it. Hold on. I, I, I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. And, and uh, we're not going to uh, grow as disciples if we feel when, when, when we, as the, my mother saying goes, with behind every upset is an unmet expectation. And, uh, and oftentimes I will falter because I expected God to do something and he didn't do it, or I expected him to not do something and he did. And, um, and my life is, is different because of it. I mean, I told my mother and essentially told God that I would never date Julie. How'd that go for me? Uh, but here we are. Uh, but it wasn't my, wasn't my idea, but what? That's a true story. Absolutely true story. So, so that's the reason, one of the reasons why something like Mark and the, the emphasis on the messianic secret is actually so important. And, and this is, if there's anywhere that this place is cleared, it is certainly at this pivotal moment in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asks the disciples, who the people say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, uh, it's, it's so fascinating because... It's a it's it's a rebuking or sternly warning battle where where Jesus confesses you or Peter confesses Jesus you're the Christ and then Jesus sternly warns uh, the apostles uh, to say don't tell anybody that he has to go to Jerusalem and die and then Peter responds with that and he rebukes Jesus and says never I'm going to die for you and then Jesus rebukes Peter and says get behind me Satan it's this back and forth rebuking battle like uh, it's 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 crazy but. Um, it's that sort of thing that had to be kept a secret because Peter's erroneous ideas about messiahship and kingship and the kingdom of God were not the plans of God. So, but you didn't, uh, you didn't need to know all that, I guess. Um, so, okay, lastly, here is another big thing. Um, there are lots and lots of messianic titles. It's, if there was ever one that it seems to be closer to the heart of Mark's gospel it is this, the Son of God, or I'll put in parentheses, Sonship. Okay. So, ah, how, how, how do we think of Sonship in, in our, like, modern times? Like, any Sonship or not not this, but like the way that we think. I mean, how many sons does your husband have now? You have four. Four. Okay, there we go. And um, I mean, they're begotten through like methods of like you know procreation. That's that's the way that this thing works. You know this. Um, but uh, there has to be some kind of like DNA genetic sharing, right? So that the the, the same genetic makeup that's in one person trans transfers to another, and that's how you get a son. Kind of thing. Is that the same primary way you're thinking about the sonship in in um, in the New Testament? Not exactly. It's it's wider. It's bigger. Like what is it that when when uh, uh, when in John 
Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and says, um, you belong to your father, the devil. He's a liar. Uh, in other words, he's not thinking about them as begotten of the devil, but that you're doing right now the same things that your father is doing. Yeah, kind of thing. Where, where what, uh, um, the, when, when you see somebody, maybe one of the uh, uh, characteristic, if we're you know, here in Indiana and people say we like racing, is Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, where you can see the sonship more than just a name, but be, because of the way that they drive. They're both professional racers. He is, as we like to say, just like his daddy. And it's not the actions that, that give it the sonship, but you can recognize the sonship based upon what it is that you do. It's being that is, um, it's made manifest, it's accessible. You can see it, you can sense it. Um, you can see it through all of these actions when Jesus is doing the same things that, that his father is doing. So that the son of God language, that's the reason why, or at least one of the reasons why, Mark 1, chapter 1, begins, and if this was our only verse that we get through, so be it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That, that's what the book is about. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Huyas Thau, the Son of God. So, okay, and then lastly, here's going to be a fun one. Okay, this is, and I know we're, we're past time, so we're going to have to wrap this up, is Jesus misunderstood. Uh, spoiler alert, the disciples are pretty thick. They are hard-hearted, a bit daft, and don't catch on very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're... they're the, the disciples' nets need a little mending um, before they're going to be uh, uh, fishers of men. Preach it. Uh, but 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 here's but this is this is also one of the, the interesting things about comparing a gospel like Mark with a gospel like um, Mark or excuse me with Mark like uh, Matthew or Luke is that uh, there is so much that Jesus and the the description. Of, of, um, of the words of Jesus and his his parables and his actions that are left unexplained, and that the other gospel writers take some trouble to do some explaining where Mark is silent, where it feels sometimes as you're reading through Mark like Wiley e. Coyote in the in uh, where he's you know walking over the cliff and he's walking and he's walking and you realize oh there's no ground beneath me and I start falling because. Like you didn't explain what's what's happening. You didn't you didn't finish the 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 explanation of the parable. That's one of the reasons why I like reading parables in in Matthew and I like reading parables in Luke because they take the trouble to explain stuff. Um, Mark doesn't do that. He's deadpan. He's just now you figure it out kind of thing. Which the reason one of the biggest reasons why I have I'm so glad for for a gospel like Mark is that for as much as I want, oh gosh, I crave explanations and understanding for things. 
The life of a disciple is really not always that clear. And and when 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 God bids a man come and follow him, he bids him come and die, and there's no telling what it is that that's going to look like. And that more often than not, there is more trust in the face of risk than there ever is any kind of certainty of circumstances. You just don't see it. So that Mark, he gets real. You can, you can feel a little more about what it's like um, uh, uh, hearing the words of Jesus and struggling in the same way that the, the disciples are struggling to understand what it is that's going on. Because when that happens and you realize, I don't understand the parables, and the disciples don't understand the parables, and they say that they have a hardened heart, that's telling me something about my own hardened heart. I, I hear what Jesus is saying, and I just don't get it. And somehow, for some reason, he just doesn't give up on me. He's going to keep going until I get it. He's, and that's one, I mean, certainly a big thing, especially with these calling of the disciples, is that he's, he calls them out of the, out of the boat and says, um, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God wants you to follow him first and then he's going to make something out of you. Mm-hmm. When you come and follow me, I'll make you into the thing you weren't. If you let me, I'll make you into that person. But you have to follow me. And that's discipleship. Uh, for sure. And uh, And so that's a lot of what it is that you'll be getting out of uh, a gospel like Mark, which, in my opinion, has probably been, uh, has not gotten as much uh, attention or weight as some of the other ones, because the the, the other three gospels, uh, they're, they're more, I wouldn't say prolific in their writings, but they they offer the, the theological nuance uh, and the richness that sometimes Mark lacks where he's just a rough jewel. He's got good substance, but it hasn't been polished. Uh, he's, um, but, but then again, that's the nature of a, of a, a rushing, roaring line, isn't it? Um, of a Jesus who just will not be tamed. So uh, with this in mind, I think we can read through 20 verses and then Pray and dismiss. Is that is, is that all on the same page? Okay. I have something I want to read before you're done. Okay, that's perfectly fine. It's right along with what you're saying. Oh. I gave it to you today, and I good wondered if it was going to good, but it is. Okay, so here, Mark, chapter one, verses one through twenty. Here we go. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he laid out locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, 
the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once Satan sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. What at once the spirit sent him out? Yeah. yeah. What did I say? You said that was Satan. I'm sorry. Yes. Is. No, Satan definitely doesn't do that. Thank you for correcting that. Thank you, Spirit. Yes. There we go. It's the the capital S's are right in parallel. So I in my the printing. So my apologies. Thank you for your corrections. Uh, let's see here. So yes, uh, let's see here. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now. Just out of curiosity, for anyone who's ever actually read through, like, the beginnings of Jesus, or as, like, in, in, as we remember them from Matthew or Luke, like, there's a lot that, that, that Mark rushes over. No three temptations, um, no, uh, 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 John the Baptist doth protest. No, you will not baptize me, or, or I will not baptize you. You need to baptize me. And then Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to do this. You're going to do this so that I can fulfill all righteousness. And then it happens. Like, um, the pace of the narrative for Mark is jumping fast from episode to episode. It's sometimes hard to keep up with it. Um, so uh, here it goes. So, so uh, yes. Here we go. Yes, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's a key verse, two key verses in there for the interpretation of the whole book. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There is at least two indications there. where this is, As this is following, immediately, where Jesus is calling them to be disciples, that the cost of discipleship does involve... One where there's a cost of possessions, a cost of wealth, and a cost of family. Uh, but uh, we'll have to unpack that at a later time. The good thing is, Mark talks a lot about discipleship, so we don't have to get it all done in one night. So glory be to God. Uh, what did you want to share before we close in prayer? Okay. God said no. I asked God to take away my habit. God said no. It is not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make me my handicapped child whole again. 
God said no. His spirit is whole. His body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted. It is learned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said no. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said no. You must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, aha, you finally have the idea. This is the day. The day is yours. Don't throw it away. May God bless you. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, great place to end. So, shall we pray? No. Lord, uh, help us to learn, um, to see the Jesus uh, that, that Mark is showing us. Uh, Lord, so that we can learn discipleship along the way. Lord, that we could, um, even if we don't understand everything, but Lord, that, that when we see you, Lord, that we're going to learn to trust you. Uh, and that we'll allow you to, to shape us and mold us into the sort of people you've called us to be, Lord. Uh, the people who have their their hearts, their minds, their affections, Lord, uh, they're everything. Uh, Lord, centered and devoted to you, Lord. Uh, Father, we, we give you thanks and honor and glory in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Thank you. Good job, Elijah. Did you guys know if it's a boy or a girl yet? Not yet. Not yet.